Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. You know, when you say, as always, it makes me feel a little bit taken for granted. What does that mean? It means that And maybe... why haven't you said hi to the people yet? Because I had a point I wanted to make about feeling Just valued. Just say hi to the people, Ben. It's all we need to do. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. In case this is the first time you've listened to this podcast, I'm usually this brash and, and mean to Benjamin Hunting. But you know what? He's a very talented writer, and you can find his work all over the internet, so he can take it, you know? Ben. Where can I read your latest work? So because I'm prolific, I can be abused at will? Is that what you're saying? No, you probably – all those stories have so many mean comments on them, and I'm just trying to be the vocal uh, aspect of that in your life. Wow. Um, <laughs> I almost don't know how to respond to that. But you can find my work at Super Street, at Automobile Magazine, and at Driving Line, and occasionally at Haggerty. Very cool. Um, you can find most of my work at AutoGuide as well as its YouTube channel, although that will be changing in the future. I mean, they're not going to get rid of my stories, but you'll see my work in some other places, which is very exciting. That's because Sammy has taken the leap and he has entered the beautiful world of freelance journalism, which is something it's... I wholeheartedly applaud. Thank you, Ben. Uh, it is a beautiful world. I already have my... Um, my very helpful business-oriented book. It's called uh, The Places You'll Go, I believe. <laughs> yes. Most, most, you know, I've read a lot of Fortune 500 CEOs have that book on their desk at all times. <laughs> okay. This week, we're going to talk about um, a very cool roadster and then a pair of more mainstream vehicles. So, Ben, I want you to take it away with the Z4. <laughs> Z4. Well done, Sammy, with the American pronunciation. The BMW Z4. Sammy, what makes this car so special? Um, it doesn't have a roof? No, I was going to go with the fact that it is the German counterpoint to the German-Japanese car that has been so polarizing on the internet and that we have talked about many, many times because I believe you've driven it, what, three or four or five times so far? Uh-huh. The, I've driven the Supra twice. The Toyota and I've driven Supra. The Z4, a Z4, oh. a four-cylinder Z4. Uh, once, but you're driving one that I haven't driven. It's the 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 M40i, which is the turbocharged six cylinder version of the Supra slash Z4, and uh, I guess it's the di- drivetrain equivalent of the of the Supra, is it not, Sammy? What, what horsepower is in the Supra? Do you remember? Off- I mean, you drove the Supra through its full developmental cycle, <laughs> giving Akio Akio Toyota constant feedback about what he should and shouldn't do. So direct your hate mail about the Supra to Sammy. <laughs> But uh, yeah, what 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 horsepower is in the Supra? I believe it's three thirty or three thirty five, something around that level. There, oh, really, because in the Z four, it's a lot more than that. <laughs> yes, I believe it's three hundred eighty something. Three eighty one. I mean, in the Z four, yeah, three eighty one. I believe that's uh, that's a big difference. That is a big difference, and it's also three hundred sixty eight pound feet of torque, which is a not insubstantial number for a vehicle like this one. Uh, it's interesting. There's so many things that I think are interesting about the whole Z4 Supra dichotomy. I have not driven the Supra, so it's really hard for me to to talk about it in the authoritative way that Sammy, who is married to one of its developmental engineers, can talk about it. But there's, it's, it feels like... <laughs> I don't know if BMW tell, tell was... me what you think. Tell tell me what it feels like. I this think is, the Z4 this is going off the rails immediately. I, can I, feel. <laughs> I, think, I think the Z4 M40i, regardless mm. of its terrible name, I don't I don't like M40i, but 
I, I, I think it's the best Roadster BMW's made in a really long time. I think that the previous generation Z4 was an also-ran when it came to sports cars. I don't think it was a serious sports car. I think it was a cruiser and kind of akin to the SLK of the, of its era, which is now called the SLC, I believe, mm-hmm. from Mercedes-Benz. And it's still uh, like the same ancient car it used to be when it was called the SLK. <laughs> and and uh, I think that cars like the Porsche Boxster were mm-hmm. a much, much better choice for anyone who wanted an actual open-top sports car. I think that the pendulum with this version of the su- of the the super of the Z4 has kind of tilted back in BMW's favor, and I'm not saying that this is a focused sports car because I don't think that it is, but mm. it's much much better than it ever had been before. I think that's really fair to say. I think that's a that's a great way to start your conversation about the Z4. I do think it's a better Z4, and uh, I mean a better Z product, a better Roadster, um, maybe one of the best that BMW has ever made. I haven't driven a Z8, and I do really like the i8 Roadster, if you're going to call that a Roadster in any way or form. I, but... think, I think this is much better looking than the Z8. Oh. Yeah, and I know that we're going to get a lot of hate mail about that. I've never been a huge fan of the Z8's looks. I think the Z4 is a modern BMW that's not mm-hmm. anonymous, but also not extroverted. I think that they kind of walked a line with the styling. Uh, it's and I, I am unabashed in my admiration for the fact that it looks nothing like the Supra, which is a car I do not think is attractive whatsoever. So well done in differentiating themselves from the platform mate, and at the same time, kind of giving us a BMW that I don't know. I think I think it's a it's it looks good with the top down. It looks good with the top up. We talked last week about the eight series Cabriolet and how mm-hmm. the convertible version of the eight series doesn't have the same panache that the coupe does. And right. I think that the Z4 manages to avoid that problem a, by not having a coupe version, but, but B by just doing the right thing with the proportions while the top is down. Okay. So we've got to, we've got to walk it back a little bit. I don't think I agree with you with the design aspect of the Z4. I don't think it looks all that sexy. In my opinion, it looks very close to what Mercedes has in the SLC, but with a BMW front end. I don't think it's particularly stylish or unique or different. It is very, I think, a conservative roadster design. They could have gone really wild like they have in the past with, say, the i8 and the Z8, but... They didn't, and I think that's okay because BMW, I don't know if they really want to be as extroverted when they make their designs. Um, I'm not as sold on the design as, as you are. Well, I, I didn't – I never said it was unique mm-hmm. I, or, or, or special. What I said was it looks way better than the Supra, which is admittedly a low bar. But um, I, I think that what you said when you say conservative design – and I don't dispute the fact that it does look a bit like the SLC. But I think that that's kind of what I want from, from this car. I, I, I want and, – and I think – You want what, that long hood, that short deck and, yeah. and no roof. Right? And you I, want I, a grown-up looking Miata. Well, is the, that right? The, no, I don't want a grown-up looking Miata. I don't think this competes with the Miata whatsoever because I of think the, the, the customers that are going for this car are conservative. I, this okay. is a very slow-selling vehicle for BMW. If the Supra had not come along, if the, if Toyota had not said, hey, build everything about our car for us, <laughs> then BMW, there would have been no new, new Z4. I, I have no doubt about that. It's, it, it's not enough of a moneymaker for them. Okay. Uh, so the, the people that they're going after with this, they're not hardcore sports, sports car fans. They're not risk-takers. They're people who want a roadster that's comfortable, has really good muscle car-like performance, and is comfortable to drive. And I think that the Z4 really packages all those things in the m40 package with the turbocharged six that's a really interesting combination of things like the 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 performance of the six-cylinder 
I mean, I don't know. I don't. Even, I haven't even talked to you about this. It's a good motor, isn't it? It's a really good motor, and it's okay. a, it's a good transmission too. The eight speed automatic, only transmission you can get with the car, but it's the ZF um, assembly that BMW uses in so many of their vehicles. It's well-tuned for the car. It's a good match. And the power, it, it, it doesn't really overwhelm the car. Like, there, there's times where you can get it in Sport Plus mode. You can get the car to squirm around and stuff. But it never feels like it's going to go crazy. Or it never feels like you're about to smoke the tires. I didn't drive it with everything turned off because it never really compelled me to do that. Um, instead, I, I got good acceleration when I needed it. I felt like I could pass at will. I felt like I had enough power to have fun, and I didn't feel overwhelmed. Interesting. Um, I think the most important part about the car is probably its chassis then. Not its powertrain, which is very good, but its chassis, which is really well sorted out. Is that the best way to say this? You know, it is sorted, but the thing about the chassis, and and this is going to tie back to what I just said about the power. Part of the reason why that 381 horsepower doesn't, or 382, however you count it, doesn't overwhelm the car is because this is a very heavy vehicle. I think okay. it's 3,600 pounds, which and is kind of which is a bit it's, much it's for like a sports Ford car. Mustang. It's like a full. It's like a full Mustang coupe. And the Mustang's a lot bigger <laughs> than, yeah, than this size car. Yeah, size-wise, definitely. Length-wise, it's got a pair of extra seats in the back, too. Yeah, so it's it, – this is – that's when I was saying earlier in the podcast about how uh, it's not a focused sports car. A right. big part of that is, like, the fact that it weighs probably 400 pounds more than it needs to. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Supra, I believe, is a t- is maybe a tiny bit um, uh, lighter than the than the Z4. I'm really eager to hear your thoughts when you do drive the the Supra because this is more of an apples to apples comparison in terms of the platform and powertrain. Well, after what this, I after what I just said, do you think they'll let me drive the Supra? I mean, just because you don't like the design of it doesn't mean that they wouldn't they would take offense to that. I mean, design is definitely one aspect of the vehicle, but you know what? You've had so much experience with with rear wheel drive sports cars, even a six cylinder sports car like your Datsun. Um, it would be great to see what you think of a modern interpretation of that kind of stuff nowadays. I mean, there just isn't going to be anything like your dad's in, on the road nowadays. But that's the way that's the way we're going in the modern in the modern automotive industry. You know, uh, the, 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 the remember when I was saying earlier that the I car, just stunned you with my ridiculous monologue on things. I just, just like, I just let it pass by like a train <laughs> in the night. I'm not. <laughs> why even? Why you know? If you address that kind of behavior, it just repeats. Right, and uh, that's what I learned um, at uh, be anyway. The the <laughs> it was about to get really insulting, and I decided <laughs> I decided to pull back at the last second. Thanks, we get a man, lot. Of, pre- we get a lot of mail from listeners <laughs> about how I treat Sammy, and I just wanted to avoid that. So <laughs> not this time. Not this okay. time. Okay. All right. Uh, sorry, you were going. You were going somewhere, and I definitely stopped you from getting there. What was the? Where were you going with the Z4? One of the last points I kind of want to make about the car. I mean, there's another car in the BMW lineup that does almost everything that the Z4 does for a lot less money. It does. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, I would bet. I'm gonna guess the M240i convertible. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's a car where you you. <laughs> it is. Wow. Wow. You know, I kind of regret pulling back earlier yeah, no, after just slapped it. in the face for my munificence, magnificence, magnanimousness. I, I have no idea what I'm saying. So um, the M240 uh, Cabrio, tell me about it. What what you think that this would be more or less the same experience well, as look, the Z4? You can get a base Cabrio 
mm-hmm. for 20 grand less in Canada. In the States, I'm not sure exactly what the price difference wow. is. I'm looking it up now. And You're saying, sorry, an M240i, which has... No, a, I'm not it, saying the M240i. I'm saying base. So if you look at the base... Oh, okay, the 228. The base C4... The base C4 is 49,000 in, in the US. The base 2 series convertible is 41. So you have about a 10 grand difference there. Okay. Significant, it, nonetheless. It is significant. If you, if you start... I don't know if you can get the... Oh, here we go. The M240 is 50. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Z4 M40 is 63.7. That is a huge difference. A huge difference. 13 grand. And you get a back seat. You're getting yeah. essentially the same engine uh, with the three, in the 335 horsepower tune, which you can you know, bump up if you want to. There's no problem doing that. But mm-hmm. the, the other thing that I think we should definitely mention is performance-wise. <laughs> um, yeah. Performance-wise, they're very, very similar. Uh, or, or maybe not. Uh, it's about a half second. 4.4 to 60 for the M240 and then um, 3.9 for the Ooh. Z4. But you get a rear seat with the, the 2 Series. You can get all-wheel drive if you want um, okay. for 52000 So it's still a $10,000 gap. That reduces a little bit of its, like, sportiness, but for more practical elements. Well, I mean, yeah. it's a convertible version of a coupe. It's not going to be that sporty anyway. Right. But uh, in terms of weight, but it's it's almost it, there's an analog for this car in the lineup. It attitude wise, they're completely different. I also think mm-hmm. the buyer is completely different for the most part. But it's interesting to me that BMW has this kind of overlap in its lineup. Well, I mean, I think the Z4, as you mentioned before, is this really like focused product. It's a it's a roadster. Oh, it's, it's I didn't for, say it was focused. I said it was not sorry, a focused a, sports car. A, a, a focused roadster. It's it is made for people who want a roadster, and I think the. 2 Series convertible is not quite that. I think it's for an entry-level sports... I mean, yeah, an entry-level um, BMW owner who wants a, a drop-top. Like, but I, I, but it but seems different. Yes, they are aimed at different customers, but they offer a very similar experience. I need to get your... You, are, do you think that the the Z4 M40i is that different of a driving experience than... than I mean, is that similar of a driving experience to the... To the two series, I think that the the Z4 is more enjoyable to drive. I mean, it, even though the two series is without a doubt one of my favorite cars to drive in the BMW lineup, probably the only car I enjoy driving in the BMW lineup. The only uh, car you enjoy driving? Yeah, I absolutely love the M2. It's the one that really speaks to me. Okay. And and I will I will hold that. I'll I'll definitely hold that thought. Um, I, I think it would be interesting if there was an M version of the Z4. I know we'll never see it. Uh, I, I think that they. it's been three or four years since I drove the 2 Cabriolet. But mm. I, I do see them as similar just in terms of fun in the sun uh, because neither one of them is going to tackle a Boxster on a road course. So I think it's two ways to get to the same destination. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you really push them hard, the Z4 is going to be more rewarding to drive. But if you're commuting and you want to save some money, I think the two is an interesting alternative. I think that's a great point. Um, let's talk about the Boxster a little bit, though. Uh, it's without a doubt like the benchmark for sporty roadsters. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, for sporty roadsters, that you in terms of performance or mm-hmm. yeah, I would say so. I mean, in that price. What about segment. design? I mean, what about design? What about you know appeal? What about I think they're they're pretty solid cars, and they offer a wide range of boxers out there. The uh, 718, the the S model, the GTS, and I'm sure they have some sort of limited edition. Yeah, model for sure. It's it's also much more expensive though. 
than okay. the, than the Z4. That's another thing that you're going to run into if you're trying to price both of these vehicles. Uh, the thing I liked about the Z4 that I drove is it was very well equipped in M40i trim. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the options that it had were safety related. If you wanted advanced safety equipment, it also had like the bang and all of some stereo or whatever it is. Um, is it bang? This is my favorite Harman, part of Harman every Carbon? BMW conversation. Might have been Harman Kardon. Whatever it is, I had the louder Wait, stereo. Let me let's go through the gimmick. The gimmick list. Did it have gesture uh, controls? I don't think so. I tried to get them to work and they didn't. That might just okay. be because I'm a redhead and it can't detect my pale skin. I'm not sure. <laughs> also, spoiler alert to anyone in the podcast who hasn't realized I'm a redhead yet: you can tune out now. Oh, um, did it have the ginormous key? The, it, no, it did not. It did not have the ginormous key. Okay, which was nice. So we're 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 we don't we're t- we're zero for two on our gimmick count. It didn't it, uh, didn't. it didn't have any of the gimmicks you would see on the very high end cars. The stuff that the executives have because the exec the executives asked for because they won't be driving this car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it didn't have that blinding uh, Swarovski dial on it. No, it did not have the Swarovski oh, dial. It did not have that- the back up over its own tracks thing it didn't it didn't it didn't, <laughs> oh, couldn't, yeah. it didn't have wings that folded out and turned into a boat it didn't do any of that stuff uh it just no had perfume like perfume dispenser no no it didn't even have follow along cruise control it just had stop and go okay uh, but all that was an option so wh- where i was going with that is because if you buy a boxster you have to add everything like yeah if you want like if you want air conditioning or a stereo yeah. or like i don't GTS, know yes but if you're getting a gts you're already piling on a lot of money so uh, the base M40i was reasonably well-equipped. It was equipped to the point where I would have been happy with everything it had. That's okay. not the case with the base Boxster. So there's a no. big price gap there. And we're in a world now where I think the 911 is like $300 under 100 k <laughs> for its MSRP. And uh, the Boxster is not far behind. Yeah, so BMW is – I don't think they're – I think on the outside – yeah, they kind of benchmarked the Boxster. I know that when they developed the car, they benchmarked the Boxster dynamically. It feels like they didn't. That's my biggest concern about the BM- the BMW Z4. It's as if they went into this instead of saying we need to beat something, we need something that can keep up with a Boxster. I feel like they're just like we need to make a better Z4 because the last one was wasn't too bad, well, and that's you, all. But that's <laughs> not. But you 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 have to realize though, Sammy, that's not the case because they had to build a Super too. Yeah, to me, when they when I guess the two teams diverged, um, they like Toyota. From what I understand, really went all in on on making something that can compete with a Cayman. And I don't, I didn't hear that commitment, that same commitment that BMW did the same thing when it comes to the Z4. So I and I feel I felt that way when I drove the the four cylinder model. I'm not sure if the six cylinder has that different that much of a difference in attitude. I, I've read that the the first two vehicles that they benchmarked when they were building the Z4 were the TT and the SLC. But what happened yeah, see, was that makes so much no, sense. No, but let me finish. You, are 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 you gonna let me finish? Oh, fine. They hit those they hit those targets, and they also their own M240 convertible that we talked about earlier was also mm-hmm. a benchmark. But they hit those targets so easily and so quickly that they yeah. broadened their search, and that's where they hit the the 718 Boxster S. Interesting. Uh, that that was their next bogey. I don't think they got there. I don't think so either. And well, I haven't driven the six-cylinder. I've driven only the four. But they chased it. Yeah, so, uh, that's you know, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how hardcore they chased it because I don't know how many resources they would expend going up against a car that's not really a competitor. And why would they, right? Like the BMW Z4 buyer is just not a boxer buyer. No. But what's interesting is like you start to ask this question is like, okay, is a Z4 buyer a Corvette buyer? No. You don't think so? 
No, I don't think so. Okay. I think I think the BMW, although you and I and, and many of our listeners probably know that the latest C7 Corvettes, is, even in convertible form, are really fun to drive. And they also have a lot of they, – they actually have a surprisingly nice interior. I think people are expecting a certain level of refinement in a BMW that just doesn't – just doesn't pop to mind when you think of a Chevy Corvette. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's just you know what you start to think of too is like on the other end of that you have the performance that you see in the Boxster that is represented by a convertible Corvette too. So it's like it's almost like it's caught in this no man's land where it's it's completely cut off from the performance world yet offers a more refined experience than perhaps either of those cars. I thought maybe if an F-Type would, would balance the, the scales really nicely with a Z4, but I'm also not sure about that because the F-Types can be kind of wild sometimes. Yeah, well, the, and, and the F-Type's also a wild card just in terms of, like, you know, reliability. And, <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's a much older design than either the Boxster or the – I think it's a, we're in the seventh year of the F-Type right now. And <laughs> there's, a, there's a refresh coming. But I don't know how extensive it's going to be. It's definitely going to be a styling refresh. And they might put a new engine under the hood because they have the new Ingenium six-cylinder that they put in the Range Rovers. I don't know if that fits under mm-hmm. the hood of a, of a uh, F-Type. But, again, it's a, a, a wild card, I think. Absolutely. Any, do you have any more you want to add about the, uh, the Z4? No, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to say. Honestly, that was really extensive. I'm happy you, you had so much to say about that. And we should honestly... We really should compare notes when when I get my opportunity to drive the the six cylinder version of it because it is such an interesting car to have been developed with I guess the resources from like helpful resources or financial resources from Toyota to make this thing happen in some way or another. Yeah, it's and, definitely it's definitely a weird car. I mean, this is this is the this kind of vehicle development does not happen all that often in the sports car world. It's kind of like an old school way of doing things when you had companies that it's strange though because it used to be like companies that didn't have their own developmental budgets would go after a larger suitor. And in this case it was the opposite. It was like Toyota has all the money in the world, but they were like, "You know what? We're going to for some reason have BMW develop this car. I still don't understand why." They but don't have any six cylinders anymore. Any straight sixes. Oh, and it's impossible for them to develop an engine? <laughs> no. Come on, man. This is, this when was the Toyota. last time they made a brand new engine? Toyota? Yeah. Uh, I don't that know. That wasn't electrified in some way or another. What about the engine in the uh, the BRZ? Was that a total it's a, Toyota, Subaru, it's a Subaru, Subaru engine. Effort? It's a Subaru engine with the D4S. What about the v- engine that's in the LC500? Is that different enough from that 5.0 has been around, right? So Yeah. That's a really good question. I, it I don't would have be the, the, tur- to it. the It would be the V6, the turbocharged V6 and the LC500. Uh, LS500. Wow. Jeez, Sammy. LS500. What, what about the, uh, <laughs> the motor in the car that you're going to talk about next, the Corolla? The Corolla. So I drove the new Corolla sedan, which in, uh, I drove the XSE version, which comes with a two-liter four-cylinder engine, which also features uh, D4S, direct import injection. Uh, and I compared this new Corolla to the uh, Hyundai Elantra, the 2020 Hyundai Elantra. And the uh, – like, okay, let's let's break it down here. The new Corolla is brand new. It features that TNGA architecture that's also used on the hatchback. Um, and it also has – it has a very interesting design. I actually think for once Corolla uh, – Toyota has, has put a lot of effort into their, their Corolla – in a way that I hadn't anticipated in the past. I think past Corollas have always relied on their reputation of being reliable and um, and having excellent resale value. And I know a lot of people who still have their first Corolla that they've ever bought. And there's a ton of old Corollas still on the road today. So I think that you know it has its sort of 
client. You know, it's it's customer based. People just say, I need a car, Corolla. That's what's been good for me all this time. Let's get another one. Well, and I think for the thing about that customer base too, though, is that they don't buy new cars very often because they don't have to. Exactly. And for, for in my opinion, the Corolla, the new Corolla has come with all sorts of great features, excellent fuel economy, uh, a, CVT, a CVT transmission that is actually not bad, and um, driving dynamics that it definitely didn't need to have. You know, it really delivered on everything that customers are look like customers of other cars are looking for. And it looks like for once Toyota has become a little bit defensive with this class of vehicle. And I think that's really cool. And so I want to talk it, about, sorry to interrupt. You drove the sedan, right? That's right. I drove is, it the sedan. The, is it the same platform as the, as the hatchback? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. And I want to talk about why Toyota has had to do that. And it comes uh, to me, it comes directly from the other car that I'm, I'm driving, which is the Elantra. Uh, I think it was back in 2012 when the Elantra showed up with this really sleek design, but more than that, it came with a bajillion features. It came, in, in Canada, it came with, with things like heated seats in the front. It came with navigation. It had all sorts of features that just nobody expected in a compact car. And it started selling really well. And I think since then, we started seeing other compact cars delivering all of this equipment and packaging and just delivering an absolutely fully featured compact car, which was I don't think ever the case before. I think no, people- I, I think I think you're right that Hyundai really set the tone for that, and I think it's an interesting environment too because we were coming out of the terrible global recession of mm-hmm. 2008 2009, and there were car companies that gambled on the fact that people wouldn't have money to buy new cars at X price. So Honda came out with a Civic that was decontented. And at the same time, everyone else kind of was like, you know what? We're going to bet on recovery. And Honda was left flat-footed with companies like Hyundai basically eating their lunch with with the Elantra. And it it was such a problem for Honda that they they came out with an emergency refresh, I think a year and a half into the uh, original sale of that generation mm-hmm. Civic, which is unheard of in the industry. So uh, the Elantra did have a ripple effect that, that lasts to this day. So let's get back to the the Corolla. Even I think the last generation Corolla, if you looked at it, it's a dorky looking car inside and out. Um, does, and it's it hard to... the, does it have the microwave clock? So the new one doesn't have that anymore. <laughs> So let's talk about this new one. It, it looks sharp, absolutely eye-catching on the road, especially in this XSE or SE um, trim level. Uh, the interior actually really surprised me. It's, um, the model I have has a mix of cloth and leather uh, upholstery. It looks really sharp, nice bolstered seats that really feel good, um, and somewhat high-class feeling, not high-class, but like decent-feeling switchgear. It doesn't feel ancient. That's what I really loved about this new Corolla is that Unlike the last generation Corolla, which still felt somewhat familiar, and other Toyota products that we've driven have, that do have that familiarity to them, this felt like a whole new product and was loaded to the gills in terms of features. I've got um, heated seats in the front and back. I've got heated steering wheel. I've got a wireless phone charger. I have um, a sunroof. I have a navigation system. I even have Apple CarPlay support, which is something that Toyota like almost refused in the past. I don't have Android Auto, which is one of the shortcomings of the product and i do think that they're they're not quite they haven't quite perfected their safety suite of technology all those driver's assistance features but honestly i was so impressed with what this car um offers on the other hand 
something happened to the rear seat, man. Like, <laughs> What do you mean something happened? Something happened. And the last Corolla could always boast that it had a pretty comfortable, in terms of legroom, uh, rear seat. And this new Corolla does not have that. It, I don't know what happened. It, 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 they don't think people sit in the back seats of their cars anymore. Um, or, or maybe they're trying to sell people on the on the hatchback. But I don't know if you've been in the hatchback. It also doesn't have much legroom either. I so, have indeed been in the hatchback. So I, I'm confused as to what happened here, but or or how they assessed their their demographic. Maybe they think that Corolla buyers are so different than Camry buyers who do value rear seat space, and Corolla buyers don't. Or maybe they're trying to push people into the Camry if they're like, you know what, if you do need a back seat, we have a car that has one. Exactly. Uh, Mike, I have a question for you. You mentioned all of these features, and we were talking about features earlier with Elantra. Mm-hmm. What has that done to the MSRP of this vehicle? It's Okay, I mean, the Corolla always gets to boast a a high uh, MSRP. It has what people like to call a Toyota tax. The XSE version of my car, it starts at $25,550 in the U.S. Um, I had it with a very attractive metallic uh, paint job, which I thought was an extra cost, but isn't. So ignore me there. (laughs) And and I have a connectivity feature, uh, connectivity option, which is another $20,000. Two thousand dollars. So two thousand dollars. What does it give you? Uh, it gives you. I believe it gives you that Android Auto, Apple CarPlay. It gives I you the you navigation. Said there was no Android Auto. Auto Sorry, CarPlay. the Apple CarPlay. It gives you the navigation. It gives you the uh, JBL nine-speaker sound system, um, and it has a in, in the U.S. It has like a what's it called in-car Wi-Fi, which so, some people will find interesting. I, does the Elantra give you Apple CarPlay and Android Auto from it the does. base model upwards? I believe. I'm not sure about from the base model. I I think so. Uh, I don't have all of my information about the the features. Let me grab that for you right now. But I, the model I have has all of the features that I just talked about with Android Auto as well. Um, it has a dual zone climate control, which the Corolla didn't have, okay. and I thought that was interesting. And what's the price difference? Uh, almost almost nothing, man. Uh, I believe the Corolla is. Let me grab it. I, I was looking at the Canadian pricing, and I don't know why, obviously. Not, no one knows why. Why would you ever do that? I don't know, Ben. You know. Um, I believe that the Corolla the Corolla is the more expensive product. As I mentioned, they have, like, a, a Corolla tax, a Toyota well, tax. What I'm curious, and, and for if you're looking at base model pricing. You want to know a base model pricing? Yeah, I would like to see the difference between these two cars. Because I'm going to assume that the base Elantra is better equipped. So the base... First of all, the base uh, Corolla is about a thousand dollars, a little less than a thousand dollars more expensive. Okay. So the Elantra and the Elantra comes with, I it, I don't think it comes with Android Auto at that level. It yeah. comes at the second grade level, which is the SEL. Okay. So I, I drove a a limited version of the car uh, in the U.S. Also in Canada, it's called the Ultimate, um, and it came with everything, and that costs twenty two thousand eight hundred dollars. Um, as to start with, and that's five thousand dollars cheaper than the than the Corolla, and I didn't have to deal with any options or packaging, so a significant chunk more less expensive than the Corolla, which is important. However, we got to talk about something. This this new Corolla, this new Elantra comes with a CVT transmission, which is very weird. Um, in the past, Hyundai has almost refused to use the CVTs. And now they finally jumped on board. They call it an IVT, an intelligent variable transmission. I don't know what the intelligence really is, 
they want to they want the transmission to feel like a an automatic so it has like these fake gear changes all the time and i really don't like that one bit at all it feels so bizarre and out, and out of place in a car that you can you can hear is a cpt yeah i you know i want to talk about you're you're talking about the transmission you know hyundai also offers two other transmission options there's a 7 speed dual clutch if you get the sport no not just with the sport Oh, and the eco. Yeah, in the eco. So that's that was what I was gonna I was gonna lead into that. Um, but you can get a manual transmission. You can get these mm-hmm. this weirdo transmission that you're talking about, and the seven speed. And right. that that's because there are three engines available with the Elantra. This is a two liter base engine, 147 horsepower. There's a 128 horsepower uh, turbo four that's 1.4 liters, and that's got a little bit more torque than the base model. And then there's the 201 horsepower, uh, 1.6 turbo in the in sport. The sport. The right. Corolla, I believe, has only one engine option. Actually, it has two. Um, okay. It has the XE, the sorry, the SE and the XSE have a two-liter engine, and the LLE and XLE have a 1.8. But don't forget, you can also get the new Corolla as a hybrid as well. Okay. So, so that also has the same amount of, you know, it, it, you can get it with a manual or a CVT, um, and that's it. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I drove that two-liter four-cylinder in the Elantra, which makes only 140 horsepower or something. 147. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but as much as I don't like the way the transmission feels, it does give you that power when you need it and gets and, and quiets, quiets the car down and really sips gas when you're, when you're not on the, on the throttle. So it does the job really well. I think of the two cars... I wanted to like the Corolla more because it felt a little bit more refined in terms of its materials and stuff. But then the typical Hyundai thing is that they came with more features at a lower price, and um, I think it's a it's a better finished product. I, I, I think I, I need to back buyers up on in that seg. I think buyers in that segment will really appreciate that combination. I need to more back up. I need press. to I need to back up on the transmissions. There is no manual for the uh, Elantra. No. Oh. Nope, Even none. the base model? Nope, none that I can see. Standard is the uh, the the transmission that you don't like. Boo. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, I wanted to also add the Corolla has a CVT as well, and it's not bad. It also has a like a, a normal first gear, so that the car feels really natural coming off yeah, the line. Yeah, that is an unusual transmission. I don't really see the need for that gimmick. But after uh, driving these two cars back to back, I do. I see that well, the the Elantra feels a little weird off the line. But you say but that this, you say the Elantra transmission is just weird in general. Like yes, it's to always like, trying to change gears. Compared to like maybe a more normal CVT, maybe you wouldn't right. notice it. Right, for sure. Okay. Um, additionally, the, for whatever reason, the Corolla when you step on it, it gets noisy. The 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 CVT really ramps the throttle up, and even though it has twenty more horsepower, it doesn't really feel like it. So I don't know what what whether or not the car is really just trying to acknowledge that a compact should be better equipped for fuel efficiency or maybe um it's just a heavier product and needs to push that thing the the engine further so the the elantra to me just felt a little bit better in that regard but the interior is still not my favorite it has a ton of hard plastics especially where your like the, the where your body is touching the car it's a weird way to describe that sorry uh <laughs> elbows where your elbows touch armrests and door panels hard plastics where your knees touch the the transmission tunnel for example where where or the center console hard plastics and to, it, that would probably be really annoying after a, a couple of hours in the car if you're on a road trip so uh bottom line for you Mm-hmm. Which of these cars is your preference? I think the Elantra is the better product here, but still, yes, 
Okay. Still, I think uh, that's what I would recommend someone to take a look at because, of, as I mentioned, it's cheaper and it comes with more gear. That's important in this class. I People so want to have more features for the le- least amount of money, and I think this is the case. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you want that, uh, honestly? If you're looking for something that's a little bit cooler, is a little bit more refined, a little bit um, – I don't know. It makes you feel a little bit better. I think the Corolla might actually have that. You're, you're saying the weird. Corolla now has an X factor. It does. It, and that's, isn't that crazy? We've never had that in the past. You've never had that to think about, right? That's true. However, I, I need to back this up. It's so hard for either of these two cars, in my opinion, to keep up with the Civic, which is huge. Just a big, big car. And it comes with all the features that the Elantra does. It's a little bit more expensive, yes, and a tiny, less, a tiny bit less fuel efficiency, uh, a tiny bit less fuel efficient, but you're getting more car for, your, for, for the money, you're getting all the same features, and you've got a really solid uh, turbocharged engine as well. Yeah, but maybe you don't want more car. That's true. I mean, some people want a small car because it makes them feel, you know, they're, they're using as much as they need. I mean, it's easier to park, it's easier to put in places. It makes I sense. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a feeling. But I mean, you can get if you want more car, you can get a Camry for twenty four, you know. So yeah. less money than the the Corolla you're driving. So there, it, it's intersecting with um, the idea of people who want a small car that's comfortable versus people who want as much car as they can buy in terms of size. Which maybe they're going to go for the Civic, maybe they're going to go for the Camry. So it's it, it, there's a lot of choice, which is always great if you're a consumer. There's also something really important to talk about these cars. You mentioned the Corolla. Um, how people are usually not buying new cars or don't buy new cars very often, mainly because of the reliability of, uh, of the past Corollas, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know what the, the expected reliability on this, this Corolla or this Elantra is. However, I brought up the Civic, and people used to think that Hondas were pretty reliable, but there have been a lot of reports about its turbocharged engine and uh, it having some oil consumption issues and impacting the fuel economy of the vehicle, which is one of its high points. And for anybody who thought that you know a Honda could could deliver that same kind of um, perceived reliability or, or long-term durability that they used to have, it might not be the case as it used to be. Well, the, and this is the first production turbocharged engine from Honda, right? Um, yes, I'm, I don't know that off the top of my head, but this is in this is in the Civic, the Accord, and the. Um, CRV. Yeah, and I think all of I, these cars, I believe, are experiencing some form of this oil consumption issue. I think it's the same similar family of engines, too. Right. So the Elantra and the um, Corolla don't feature turbochargers. Um, and well, they, they can't. You, you can get it in the Elantra, but right, you can. Sorry, my mistake. The, I believe the engine in the in the Elantra is actually somewhat. I don't want to call it old, but I think it's familiar. It's used throughout much of um, uh, Hyundai's lineup. So. And I haven't heard significant issues with those products in the past. And the Corolla, it features this new four-cylinder with D4S. I think that's new, but D4S is a tried and tested technology that's been in many Lexuses before this, which are well known for their um, reliability. And uh, I think the Toyota will probably have the usual rock-solid reliability that it's, it's known for. So uh, anything else that you want to say about either of these vehicles? No, I can't believe I talked so much about these things. Neither but you know I. what? I really do love. I really do love talking about these things because this is what people. This is what people buy, um, and it's so cool to see just how far we've come in a short matter of a short matter of time. Oh, for sure. Right. I like I like talking about the fact that you know 
small cars aren't crap anymore. And it's yeah. still, it's still a novelty to me because when I got my driver's license, they were absolute horrible penalty boxes. Absolutely, and, and they're and not, that the, is case not the case. No, not I mean all. these cars have both of these cars have adaptive cruise control. They have like lane keeping assistance features. These are things that we used to think were reserved for luxury cars, not just like high end vehicles like an Avalon or a an Azera, but like legit Azera. luxury. Azera. <laughs> legit luxury when cars. I think you know? high end luxury car. I think, do I deserve an Azera? And every <laughs> time the answer is, I'm not sure, Benjamin. No. I'm not sure. I meant like the luxury brand, you know, like a Lexus or, a, or the Genesis. Or an Azera. Azera, of course. In the, um, same, in the same breath as Lexus, as usual. As usual. So uh, I, I just, uh, I wanted to, one last thing uh, on the podcast today. I wanted to say thanks. We had some people write in um, about the Corvette talk that we had last week. We had Jonathan who came mm. in and uh, asked for more Corvette talk. So we're going to try and do our best there. We're hopefully going to get behind the wheel at some point. That's that's the goal. Um, unless and- our podcast really like tanks our, our reputation. Is, it, I don't is that think possible? It could possibly go lower than it is now. <laughs> we also had Adam write in, and uh, he works for GM. And but he was telling us that one of the interesting things about the C8 is it, it, it coming out right now um, is that C7s. The price that we talked a little bit about this in the past. C7s on are starting to drop in terms of price. If you, he was saying that a a coworker who had contacts at a dealership, there's twenty percent off the C7 Stingrays. And a lot of the other Corvettes are seeing significant discounts as well. That is going to keep – I think that's going to be a continual trend the closer we get to the C8 going on launch. And his point is the C7 is an amazing car, and I agree with him that it's an amazing car. Yeah. And the, if you can you know, work your mojo at a dealership and get a 20 25% off MSRP on a C7, why would you not do that? Absolutely. <laughs> that's a steal. That's absolutely a steal. You need to have that. Um I'm I'm also impressed that he even said like other Corvettes are also more affordable. Even C6s are pretty good too, performance wise. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, thanks for writing in. We appreciate. We love hearing from anyone. And if you who listens to the podcast, and even if you don't listen to the podcast yet, somehow have our contact information. <laughs> we want to hear from you too. Uh, if you want to reach out and touch someone, particularly Sammy, you can do that on Twitter. <laughs> At Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. If you'd rather speak with me on a more friendly platform like Instagram, you can find me there at Hunting Benjamin, or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, or you can go to our website. Sammy, where's our website? It's on the internet. It's uh, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you get there, not only do you see all of the list of our last episodes, you'll also see ways to subscribe to the, to the podcast and get the latest one as soon as they happen. But there's also a contact form right there so that you don't have to get fire up your email client. You know how long that takes. Who has the time, honestly? No, I don't. I don't think you've ever used email in the last five years. I think you've kept living an email-free lifestyle, Sammy. I mean, I, I, I don't know how to turn on my email, you know? I, it, it's, it's the top button on your remote. Remember <laughs> Web TV? Do you remember that? Or are you too, do you not remember Web TV from the 90s? I don't think so. You're going to explain Web, web, web TV, TV was, to a youngster like me? was the worst way to experience the internet, where you got a box that attached to your TV, and then you had a remote, and I think you could get a keyboard as well. And, and you just 
imagine like you know how hard it is sometimes when you you know you have a tv in your living room maybe you have a, a small computer a pc attached to it and you, mm-hmm. you you're like you totally don't illegally stream movies um but you have windows or something set up and it can be tough to read the fonts right because yeah. like they're not designed to be seen on a screen like that the, the resolution is not proper on some widescreen tvs anyway imagine all of that on like a 480 i <laughs> screen <laughs> cathode ray screen in the 90s trying to yeah. try to read a website that let loads alone, as slowly as possible let alone compose an email <laughs> so yeah my, my grandmother had web tv for a brief period of time um and it was it was it was ass <laughs> <laughs> i can i can say it so uh anyway uh, sammy what are we going to be talking about next week uh, I've got my hands on the new Jeep Gladiator pickup truck. Ooh, and I, I will have that about a month afterwards, so that will be an interesting uh, comparison. Very cool. What about you? What are you driving? I am currently driving uh, a G-Class, a Mercedes-Benz G550. Uh, yeah, so I'm the podcast has definitely made it when we're talking about G-Classes. <laughs> I'm panzering around my neighborhood like uh, a Russian oligarch. And uh, I can say that people don't appreciate it. So we'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope that you enjoyed yourselves. Yes, thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.